0: is it cold outside yet not enough <laughs> just saying it's october we it have been really- waiting for october
1: and it's cooler you know for those that have forgotten we broke the hundred the street the, the, sh- the streak Um, What was it? 47 days in a row this summer was over 100. We all got very obsessed with the numbers. (laughs) 107 feels very different than 99.
0: (laughs) I mean, uh, I know it sounds so cliche, but I do enjoy talking about the weather.
1: I don't, but I don't hate it. The weather is more interesting than it's ever been and (laughs) a little depressing in terms of where you are and what's going on. So, I at least find it more interesting than it used to be of just, like, beating the heat. <laughs> it's like, no, I'm just real depressed that it's
0: been 107 for 47 days.
1: Anyway, it's cooler now.
0: Welcome Yay. to October. That feels like a great segue. Oh, does it? Into ads. Yeah, how how interesting <laughs> are
1: ads? You know... <laughs> I have a whole diatribe on marketing and advertising that uh, does it work? Does it not work? And what is it? But I will say, so today's panel is fast AVOD and the return of ad supported television. Um, And so I think the thing that's really interesting about this as we've spent most of the summer and have, you know, double strikes happening, et cetera, as they hopefully are resolving um, and moving towards going back to work. But, part of the problem is that like I'm gonna say we broke it but I didn't break it but like (laughs) the system was broken like in the evolution very broadly that everyone knows of going from network television where you had a cable package and everything had ads to then we're recording them I don't know what the effect was of like fast forwarding through those ads that during that time where
0: like I know it seems like such a blip such a blip, In but like... The past of that time where you would record something and fast forward yeah. through the ads. And then I had the bloop, bloop, bloop TiVo Yes, noise. yes.
1: That was still commercially very successful for writers because there was advertisers buying ads, paying for ads, and they were getting paid as they aired on TV. And then moving into the streaming era and still having cable packages, I personally finally, quote unquote, cut the cord probably less than a year ago. I would think YouTube TV that you have is still, I mean, it's ad supported. So YouTube's maybe not breaking it yet. We all get paid for ads in a variety of ways. This whole situation with the strikes is around the fact that people aren't getting paid what they used to because of transparency of viewership and the model of residuals, which is so based on advertising. And when you take that away and you don't fill it with something else and you don't have it be a success based model, then you get people who aren't paying aren't getting paid enough and it's not a viable career. So interestingly enough, this last year, also ad supported AVOD platforms have been established quote and are quote unquote rising. What I think is really interesting. So on this panel, we have someone from Tubi and someone from Pluto. We're supposed to have someone from Freevee. All three of those companies are owned by the big Mm-hmm. companies so like yeah. Tubi's owned by Fox Freebie's owned by Amazon and Pluto's owned by the Paramount Viacom yeah. world with the success of something like Jury Duty on Freebie which I had to watch ads yes yes, you did I did too you can't fast forward through them Nope, not even like you used to is that some of the answer to the strike problems of like I wonder what those models are like what people get paid out obviously there are less subscribers and viewers on those platforms currently but like, is that the answer? To do we just go back? Is the pendulum just swung, <laughs> and we just go back and we have ads again? I do want to be able to fast forward through them.
0: I know. I also I don't mind when just talking about our own tolerance when the ads are all at the beginning. Yeah, because there are certain you can things walk out where, of the room. <laughs> well, and it's also you're just you're not getting into the show. You haven't yet. been interrupted. Yeah, you're not yeah. interrupted, and it's like okay, there's going to be three minutes of ads, and then the show's going to start. Doesn't bother me I agree It's that It's like previews Yeah it's the stopping in the middle That is like I think my threshold Is somewhere in there
1: too I would actually also I agree with you Second to that If you are gonna interrupt me I'd rather you interrupt me Less for longer periods of time Than more frequently For shorter periods of time Yeah Yeah I can go to the bathroom and get a snack probably. Like yes, I will yes. leave the room most likely. I do remember it used to be, I don't know if they do this, if they can do this on the platform. It used to be on like, I'm gonna say regular TV, but like linear cable TV. The ads would get louder because they knew you left the room. So the volume went up. You know
0: it's interesting? I remember hearing about this. I don't know that I ever... Noticed or experienced it really, yeah. but I remember like, they were that's not a it. new concept yeah. to me that I'm hearing for the first time. But I don't know that they I knew would that have been able to tell you. Went to that the that kitchen that and you were like further away
1: somehow. I mean, it's very so, smart. It is very smart. Go ahead and do it. I think it's fine. I do think I have a different concept of ads now, considering the situation we're in and the broken system, and would like writers and actors and everybody else to be paid. Livable, long standing wages. And if that means going back to an ad supported model, like I'll deal with it. But I do think that there is a threshold to it so that the viewer doesn't give up. And I do think that's either less interruptions or similar to DVRing things, like maybe you capture uh, somebody's attention with, like now it's up to the ad to capture the attention too. Like yeah. if I
0: ignore you as an ad, like that's your ad's problem, not necessarily mine. Well, and I think it's interesting, and Jury Duty being a great example of this. That if that's the only way you can watch something that's oh, yeah. new and exciting yeah. and fun, you're going to do, do it. Yeah. You're going to you may be annoyed about it, yeah, but you're going to do it. Everyone's talking about Jury Duty, yeah. So many people have watched it. They've all watched the ads, yeah. Yeah. And they want to watch it and they want to be part of that zeitgeist and they're enjoying it. So they're going to suffer through the yeah. ads because jury duty's good enough that yeah. you will. If the content's not good enough, I'm not going to, no. am not going to do it.
1: I do think that there's also the other benefit to the ad supported model is I think we all in this pendulum swinging, I hear people and myself included, where you get overwhelmed by the number of subscriptions you have, like Hulu Netflix Amazon etc like the number of subscription fees you have that are adding up in a month to basically what you used to pay for cable which was like kind of not the point is all of these are free it's you can actually watch them without an account if you want to save things you have to like make mm-hmm. an account usually is what I've found and then you don't have a subscription and you're watching ads instead of paying five ten fifteen dollars a month for them which is
0: nice and accessible. And the thing that I found interesting in this conversation is that they talk about, they look at their platform. So specifically talking Tubi and Pluto, yeah, to be Pluto right now as supplemental, like part mm-hmm. of the package you're looking at. They're not looking at it as you're just going to go to Tubi and you're not going to be on Netflix. Yeah. You're not going to be on Amazon. You're right. not going to do these other things. It is a, this is another place for you to be able to go and you're going to be able to get XYZ content out of it. So right. they're not looking to fully replace these other places. They're just looking at like, look at all this stuff that you can get here. It is also less barrier to entry because people don't have to pay for things. Yeah. But you have to have the internet. But yes. Aside from yes. that. Yeah.
1: I do think it's interesting. Like it was Pluto became interesting to me. We talked to somebody from Pluto during South by and led down this conversation and adding them to this. One I didn't know they were owned by Paramount and Viacom mm-hmm. until that point. And to when you play around with it, they actually have channels running all the time. Yes. So I didn't like, know
0: that honestly until listening to this conversation. Yeah,
1: yeah. So like immediately with South by, I had downloaded it because like they have a nine hundred two and O channel. <laughs> you could just like watch 90210 yes. all the time. And the thing that I
0: love about that <laughs> is, is... That's
1: more like the discovery thing. Yes. Like you don't have to pick your episode. You're like, it used to be so lovely to just be like, I'm going to stop on this channel.
0: Yes. And there's also, they talk about the fact that you can, you know, you're scrolling through and you're like, oh, this movie is playing. I only have 15 minutes or I don't want to commit to this whole movie. It's a movie I've probably seen before. I'm going to just like jump in, watch 15, 20 minutes of it and then keep going. You can do that. Or because of how it's set up, if you're in it, you can, go and, it, you it can go and start at the beginning yes. and watch it. And I'm like, well, I just love that. Sometimes I just want, you don't know
1: what you want to watch. 10 and that minutes was of channel- a random
0: episode. It brings and back there the, you go. The
1: concept of channel surfing, which yes. like nobody has a ton of time to do, but like, I do think movies probably even more than TV shows. Although, man, the marathons were things I used to, like Saved by the Bell marathons and 902 and 0 marathons. Like that is how I watched those shows and you get thrown into a season and then you just like keep watching is the same with movies of like some movie you'd seen a thousand times before. You might own it on DVD, but you're flipping channels and you're like, oh, clueless.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I know. I feel like the only shows, and I'm sure people do this uh, with many other shows, but I feel like, the Office and Schitt's Creek are the two shows that I will go and seek out specific episodes that I want to watch at oh, random times, interesting. as opposed to just like, I'm just watching this yeah. as it goes and I'll jump in. Whereas I love the thought of like a 90210 you streaming channel. Four. I'm just going to like go in, I'm going to watch yeah. a couple episodes and maybe another two weeks before I come back to it and then I'll yeah. watch another random Well, say They also have a
1: Baywatch channel and I wasn't really into Baywatch, but like when you start it and you just like hear the... The like the theme those shows are so here, easy like, to jump into. Yeah.
0: I do. Really so, anyway, that.
1: I think that there is something here, and more than just entertainment and fun and accessibility, I do think I just keep saying during these times of strikes, et cetera, that like this the system worked for a really long time and made a lot of people a lot of money and like it, it got broken. <laughs> and there are very smart people that like I do think can fix it. And I think. Is things like this and maybe it's this in addition to other things, but like there is a threshold for audiences both with ads and costs and there's a threshold for creators, writers, producers of I made something that's really successful and a lot of people are watching it and I need to be paid for it and sort of balancing those two things. And I think this is a very fascinating
0: new addition to the conversation that I did not see coming. Well, the thing that I really liked about this conversation is how you can feel how creative and innovative they're being with these platforms and how they're programming them right. in a way that I think I had kind of written off as like, okay, to be Pluto, they're just putting... Old it's content. More. It's, just, it's more. just more. It's old content. They're putting them on these platforms, and it's just another way to watch them, and a free way to watch them. And yeah, you've got ads, but they're really looking at it in innovative ways. That's exciting. Yep, and fun. It's not just here's a platform, go watch things. Yep. good luck find them. Have fun that they uh, talk about. They have people that are programming them, right, and that they're collecting different sorts of types of shows and movies and genres and subjects and actors like yep. together and how they're bringing they're trying to bring people in with the big known i mean i think they talk about um on pluto a western week where they use yellowstone as the flagship like yep. come on yellowstone but then it's a you're here and you're like what do i watch next like gun smoke or something? Yeah, I mean oh, it's gun smoke. <laughs> but here's all the other options that go sure. along with that. But it was just really fun to hear how they're how they're making something that doesn't sound that exciting. Actually, interesting a bit and inviting. Yeah. and engaging. I agree.
1: So with that, why don't you hear from Samuel Horowitz, VP of Content Acquisitions and Partnerships at Tubi, and Will German, VP of Global Partnerships and Content Strategy at Pluto TV tell you about all the exciting things happening, moderated by Daniel Feinberg of The Hollywood Reporter.
2: Good morning, y'all. Thanks so much for coming out. I like to say that if any festival in the world is going to have an audience at 10 a.m. for a panel on Fast and avod services, it is going to be this festival, so... (laughs) Love to see people out, and I assume people will have questions, as in, what is a fast service, what is an A/B service, et cetera, et cetera, so uh, definitely we'll make sure that we open the floor up, uh, but let's bring up our panelists. I want to make sure I get their titles right. Up first is Sam Harowitz, VP of Content Acquisitions and Partnership for 2 <clears throat> And Will Gurman, VP of Global Partnerships and Content Strategy for Pluto TV. Move our seats wherever we go. So, I feel like the very first thing that we need to do is kind of define our terms. I think we want to make sure that we know what we're talking about for the next hour. So, between the two of you, give us the difference between AVOD and SVOD. Obviously, some of this is basic and some of this is less basic, and fast services in general versus fast channels.
3: Sure, you want to jump in well? Cool point. Uh, so SVOD, subscription video-on-demand services. So those services that you pay for a credit, with a credit card to access content on a monthly basis. AVOD, on the other hand, ad-supported video-on-demand, totally free. In the case of Tubi, no credit card, no paywalls. You can access all of our content whenever you want, wherever you want, on any device you want, totally for free. You want to tackle the uh, fast between AVOD and fast?
4: Yeah, so AVOD is, uh, so with fast, it's more focused on channels. So think of the traditional uh, linear channel experience that you have known and loved over decades, um, but in a free platform, uh, you know, free accessible platform, and then AVOD on demand. And oftentimes services will have both a fast component and an Avod component where you can watch content as part of a channel and then access
3: that on a VOD basis in a kind of a connected manner. And Dan, I I think a lot of people use Fast to describe the overall streaming, free streaming space. And then Fast Channel is just the differentiation between a linear compiled experience of Assets and then VOD on demand. So I think they can be slightly interchangeable and have a little bit of nuance when talking about both.
2: I think people definitely use them interchangeably, but obviously sometimes there's slippage between the terms. Uh, are there any other? Would you say there are any other acronyms or key terms that we're going to want people to know that are going to come up over and over again in this conversation?
3: Oh boy! I mean, I think there are a lot of acronyms that get thrown around <laughs> these days, uh, and people are making them up uh, by the minute. But as as we go along. I'll try to do my best to describe what I'm talking about if we throw throw some out. But, Will, I don't know if you exact. Any-
4: and even with Fast, um, I remember Fast, I believe. So Sam we will probably get into this uh, later on. Um, at one point was on the distribution sales side uh, when I and I was at and still I'm at Pluto TV. And they came to us with a pitch deck of Fast channels. And I think that was actually the first time I had actually heard the term Fast being used. Uh, because at, at Pluto TV, um, I'd say the, the, the way in which we created our digital linear channels predated the term and acronym FAST. So I think when you guys came with that FAST deck, that was really the time of saying, oh, what, this is the acronym, this
3: is the, the new business. Yeah, Will's referencing a previous life when I was in distribution working at A&E Networks. And uh, we, did, we did try to corner the market on the term FAST channels. I, do, I, I think uh, that dog got loose and everyone <laughs> started using it now, so... And I just wanted to clarify
4: none of us is, neither of us is Ted Danson so just you know just want to make sure everyone's in the right panel I was going to say that when I got up here but just,
2: just they have however been friends for a number of years so I like to think of this as the second greatest love story of our time even if the one upstairs is a little bit higher profile Um I want to start by kind of talking about perception and and I'm going to speak only for me but I'm guessing at least one or two people out there are going to feel the same way for a number of years and I work in the media, obviously the Netflixes and Hulu's and whatever the world, the SVOD services, they were all kind of perceived as what the future looked like. They were perceived as this is what, and not just the future, the present. And in my perception, the thing that Tubi and Pluto and a few other of the services did felt like it was kind of looking back, felt like it was okay, that is the past. But then you look at the past year, the past year and a half, and suddenly... Netflix is adding an ad-supported tier, and Disney Plus is doing it, and basically everyone is doing it, and suddenly you guys look like you're the present and that they were doing something that wasn't necessarily either working or that was ahead of its time. From your perspective, did those services get out too soon on believing that you could do a subscription-only and make-profit venture, or is your version, since it's the version of the business that's always existed, it's basically bringing back television with ads, is it always just the way to do business in TV?
3: Well, I think there's always going to be space for SVOD services, linear TV, and what we offer is a complement. And I think most consumers want choice. They want choice of what they watch, where they watch, how they watch it. AVOD, you know, ad-supported TV, as you mentioned, has been around for a while. And so what we've done at Tubi is merged a traditional customer behavior with technology and made it a better experience, a more pleasing ad load, a more easily accessible deep catalog, and using content intelligence, so fancy way of saying algorithms, to put the right content in front of the right customers. So I don't know that I can say definitively AVOD is the sole future of the streaming world. I think there's a room for a lot of players to operate, but I believe as a someone who programs a service, but also a consumer of the content that I acquire, that it's a really big and important sector to focus on and to continue to keep an eye on.
4: Sam hit on it best that there's still room for different ways in which people are finding content. I think that the biggest change has been um, people moving to smart TVs, connected TV devices, people having access on their phones. And the, the way in which people are accessing content has changed. And our business has evolved to, to ensure that um, we're able to super serve those audiences in every way possible. Between whether it's on the you know, free ad support basis at Pluto TV, on a, on a pay SVOD streaming basis with Paramount Plus, or in the traditional cable space. We know, where, we know that audiences have different appetites for what they're going to spend, how they're going to get their content, and being able to reach them wherever they are with multiple business models and opportunities has been you know,
3: vital for the future of our company. I would just tag in there, though, I think in 2023, as we're, we're facing as a, as a country, as a, as a globe, um, trying economic times or economic headwinds, as we say, in, in the business people are looking for more free options to consume content so we're seeing continued growth and engagement continued awareness and i think you're only going to see that in the, the avod sector as we move forward
2: See, that's very friendly, but I was looking for one of you to to tear into Netflix for their original business model, to use the word hubris, perhaps, and, and, and neither one of you guys seem to want to do that, and that's very, you know, diplomatic of you, probably for the best, um, but on the other hand, when you see Netflix make the retreat that they made, this is a company that for years it was, we are not going to do an ad tier, we are not going to, and then they did. Is anyone in your office's Cackling in a corner somewhere?
3: No comment. But but here's what I'll say. Similar to Netflix, changing direction. You know, for years, Tubi talked about, our founder and CEO and our head of content uh, talked about we were going to supply the greatest library content to the world and we were not going to be in the originals business. Guess what? We're in the originals business. And we have focused on growing that original library to the tune of over 100 original movies and series over the last year and a half. So... Perhaps it's not um, an indictment of their hubris, but rather a recognition that strategies change, customers want different things, and I think a successful business has to pivot. Here's what I'll further say about um, certain SVOD st- streaming services. As, is their investment in original programming satiates a need and a desire for consumers and viewers to watch what you call water cooler content? they don't always supply that depth and breadth of content around that original programming that you can access on a service like Tubi. And what we continue to do and is part of our hypothesis is offer that rabbit hole that you can dive into after coming to our service or perhaps watching a water cooler show on Big Red or one of those other services and want to follow into a genre or a vertical or a filmmaker or a piece of talent. I promise you, we will have all of that. And so I think, again, it creates space for quite a few players in, in the streaming. Yeah. And
4: think about, I mean, how much time have you spent just looking at tiles on a screen and deciding what do I want to watch? What do I feel like? what? And it feels like an investment because it's like, oh, I have to start from the beginning. Am I ready for this movie? Am I ready to watch 10 episodes versus um, in the fast space or a, or a channel? You're, you're flipping around and you're 15 minutes into Indiana Jones and then, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to stick around for that just for a bit. And then you find yourself watching the entire movie. And um, you know, the same thing goes with, again, game shows, things like you know Wheel of Fortune and Jeopardy or old episodes of Family Feud, things that you maybe wouldn't have actively sought out, but it's just on and you're leaning back and you're watching it. And I think that has been, you know that's such a familiar experience for so many people that, we've been missing out on for you know, the, the last number of years. And that's been one of the, the greatest allures of the fast space is that just, as you know, Sam mentioned, the rabbit hole of just flipping around and, f- and, and making the choice easier and just falling into content.
3: Them is fighting words, Will, Ger- Will German. Um, <laughs> So at Tubi, we, we see things a little differently. We, we obviously, like Pluto, have a, a linear product. But ten, we believe. 10 minutes that, in? Is that, <laughs> hey, let's go. We got time. Um, but we believe VOD is the future. And I think what we see in the way of engagement and viewership with younger, more diverse customers coming to an environment, perhaps trained by services like Netflix to understand and be able to navigate a VOD environment, linear viewing absolutely is complementary. It absolutely is part of the future. But we see what we're doing as delivering 55,000 plus titles to any customer to navigate through and find what they want and then augment that with a linear product that allows for discovery, that allows for high levels of engagement with news products, with sports programming. Um, I think it's really interesting to be on the stage with Will because we represent two sides of the spectrum in the ad-supported streaming space. Um, and dare I say, both of our companies are figuring out how to survive and thrive in the current environment yeah i mean as
4: sam mentioned their product started as vod first and mike has been migrating more towards the fast digital linear space pluto tv has always had uh vod as part of its offering and continues to invest in that uh more heavily and lean into that as a complement to the linear piece and Um, you know, having that best of both worlds of being able to watch something in linear. And then if you do want to start from the beginning, transport over to the video on demand and actually start from the beginning um, is, I think, something that is, you know, incredibly valuable.
2: Well, you guys have both sort of emphasized the amount of content and the diversity of the content. But at the same time, Pluto TV is uh, owned by uh, Paramount Global. Is that, what, is that what we're calling the overall company these days? And uh, 2B is owned by 20th Century Fox. And these were both companies... Fox Corp. Sorry, Fox Corp. What's, God, everything's... By, by the time we get to 11 o'clock, they're going to have different names. So, <laughs> but, uh, but no, so both companies started out as independent, and they both went under the big corporate banners roughly the same time, 2019 and 2020. How do you balance those two mandates, the we are a... A service that exists partially to showcase our company's portfolio, but also we want it to be not just our company's portfolio.
4: I think I look at it a bit differently in a, in a sense of um, there. I think there's there's two opportunities. The the first is we you know in in a place where call it you know free as a plat you know as a we've, we're talking about fast and free is no longer just the differentiator of what our services are, they're now just an entry point for what you're going to get on these platforms. So now every platform in our space is looking to differentiate in terms of what do they have to offer that others don't. How do they get people to watch their service versus the free service next to them, whether that's a tile next to them or the television device on which the app belongs on. And having access to and having this wealth of incredible Paramount Global IP uh, between the TV series and films that we're able to curate and license uh, and have on our platform provides us with this great opportunity to have um, a destination for this content and allow us to program it in a way that is supportive of our business and how our business fits in with the other elements of Paramount Global. But alternatively, it also provides us with this incredible marketing engine where we're able to um, sample, and I'm sure we'll get into this a bit later, but um, sample and promote shows uh, and content that's being produced for other platforms and channels within our ecosystem and have that uh, differentiated on our platform
3: to be able to you know, push out and distinguish what's on Pluto TV. At Tubi, I think we think about it slightly differently. And, you know, our relationship with our parent company has been one that has been robust and supportive. And the recent formation of the Tubi Media Group, which is a collection of all the standalone digital businesses in the Fox Corp portfolio led by our uh, former CTO, a guy named Paul Cheeseborough, is a representation of how important Tubi is to the overall business. We work and are highly aligned with groups like Fox Sports and Fox Entertainment to bring programming to our customers. But more importantly, I have the ability and freedom to work with over 455 content partners from major studios to independent licensors to international producers. And so really, at the end of the day, the person or the people that benefit from that are viewers and consumers, uh, both on the linear side and on the VOD side. You, you, you'll see that through fast channels like our TMZ or Masked Singer fast channel, all the way down to the collection of Warner Brothers Discovery fast channels that we launched in February right before the Super Bowl. So at the end of the day, I think it is an indication that there is high alignment and also um, a, a beneficial experience to those who come to Tubi looking for whatever, whenever, and wherever they want.
4: Just adding to, to Sam, in terms of being able to also lean at uh, you know lean in with our partnerships, um, call it 400 plus. Also, um, we have that benefit of really um, creating channels that are again not just internal content focused, but uh, bring together the best content from genres from uh, all different parties. So you know think having on the same platform Cheers and Fraser, but also having Three's Company. Um, and, you know, additional classic sitcoms all in one place. I guess I wonder how you keep
2: what you want the brand identity of Pluto and Tubi to be versus getting consumed or subsumed by the brand identity of Fox Corp or Paramount Global. Like in the sense that, like I'm going to say, Sam, that it's sort of my perception of Tubi is that it has kind of gentrified in the past year and a half, that it sort of seemed like the disreputable place where you could get fun sitcoms from Fox that you vaguely remember from the 90s and B-movies and exploitation titles. And then there were also some new things as opposed to going, and there's the mass Singer on the main page because that's the big Fox show at the moment.
3: Yeah, I, I think it's a, a valid concern, but I would, I would charge all of you to go and still look for those irreverent, deep horror cuts or old sitcoms. We have not purged content. We have not dropped things. We have added. And so um, while we have The Masked Singer or Westworld or The Nevers, we also have uh, a collection of nostalgic TV shows like Mary Tyler Moore or Dick Van Dyke or any, any series that you could possibly be looking for. Um, I, I don't know that that, that there's a collision between those two things, I think it's a yes and. Um, I
4: think Pluto TV has been able to maintain its, its brand and its personality. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with the team of programmers that are behind Pluto TV. We have a staff of over 50 programmers. Uh, and a lot of people don't know this, that there are actually humans uh behind the scenes um building and curating the majority of the channels that you see on Pluto TV. And we lean on of course we lean in on data and analytics, but also on um you know the 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 expertise and the and the personality of the people who are building these channels. We have uh former stand-up comedian programming our comedy channels. We have you know anime gaming fans programming uh you know channels that they're passionate about we have movie buffs uh, programming our movie channels um a former MMA fighter doing our fight and our wrestling channel. So um, having that, the actually, you know, the people and the personalities behind these channels, I think is a way in which we're really connect, continuing to connect with our audience and make sure um, there is that personalization behind everything they're seeing on Pluto TV.
2: Let's talk a bit about sort of philosophies. Um, Sam, you mentioned that originals are a part of Tubi's DNA at this point and going forward, whereas I know that is not the case at Pluto. So talk a bit about sort of each of you about why it is and why it is not a part of your brands.
3: Sure. So doubling down on the philosophy of super serving passionate fandoms, those who come to our service looking for whatever content they might be excited or interested in in looking for, we believe that building out an original offering to super serve those folks was really important. So like... We do with putting content in front of unique customers. We use data to inform our decision-making. And so the categories where we see people most engaging with content is where we've invested our biggest effort on the originals front. We super serve viewers coming to the platform looking for black cinema, looking for thriller, looking for action, looking for non-scripted reality TV in the categories of true crime cooking, we have built out an original portfolio and an offering that focuses in on those types of content. Um, to highlight some of that, excited that we have a, a film premiering at the Tribeca Film Festival later this month called Cinnamon. It's a reimagining of the content category of black blaxploitation. Um, it's produced by the formidable and storied producer-director Oz Scott. It stars Pam Greer and Damon Wayans. We've launched over the last six months, really successful films in uh, the category of documentary, Uh, a film we put up last month called Dead Hot, which follows Vanessa Hudgens on a journey to explore witchcraft and her own personal identity going to Salem, Massachusetts. Uh, One of our most successful originals to date, uh, a film called The Stepmother starring Erica Amina. Uh, These are all films that are born out of our conversations internally of looking at data, looking at what customers are coming to our service and engaging with, and then ensuring that we can deliver them more um, over you know, the course of a 12-month calendar year.
4: So there's so much premium original production occurring um, across all our different platforms and services on a global level, whether that's for Paramount Plus or our cable networks. Um, and we really see the opportunity in leaning into the content that's already being produced, Um to to really have, you know, really twofold ideas, right? The first is being able to be a a promotional uh, platform for these shows. Um, For example, Picard season two, um, we were able to sample that on our Star Trek channel as a way to push towards the new season on Paramount+. Plus. We do the same thing with a handful of other series. I think we've Um, sampled over 34 different properties, and I think almost 100 episodes this year alone from Paramount Plus on our platform. Um, But the other opportunity for us is how can we use uh, and lean into those incredible series that we're windowing onto Pluto TV as acquisition drivers to reach our audience, give them something new, and help them lean into the channel's and the content that we have on Pluto TV, where we're building what we call original channels—channels channels that you're not going to find outside of Pluto TV. So, um, take a show uh, like Yellowstone, where we have uh, stunts of a few seasons uh, throughout the year. Um, that's a show that we'll build uh, a, a massive campaign around. Um, we had a campaign called Westerns Week last August. Um, we also ran Yellowstone over Memorial Day, but. Um, every August, we'll create Westerns Week, and that involves a campaign of 20, uh, I think it was 45 pieces of content across 20 different channels, where Yellowstone, as a sample, becomes the anchor to drive people in, but also helps them migrate and find other channels that they're going to grow into and love and engagement uh, engage with. Um, you know, Similar samples we've done with Tulsa King on our Pluto TV crime drama channel. Uh, RuPaul's uh, uh, Drag Race All-Stars uh, on our Pluto TV celebrity channel. So um, I think we have this great um, kind of collaborative uh, collaboration across our um, different production entities where we're able to tap into these great originals, but also lean in and build these long-term original channels so they aren't originals that just come in, people cycle off, um, and then don't know what to watch next.
2: So would you say that actual Pluto TV originals, that that's a thing that maybe five or 10 years from now you might consider? Or is that just simply not a part of the philosophy at this point?
4: We're, fo- we're focused right now on the originals across the company. And, um, you know, we're certainly always evaluating different business models. Um, this one seems to be working really well for us. And we're continuing to scale it every month.
2: And for Tubi, what sense can you kind of give us of what you guys are looking at in terms of budget for originals and how it might compare to the people who have been in that business for more
3: years? I'm, I'm remiss to pigeonhole our aspirations on the original side at this time, but I would say that we are focusing on the content and the commensurate production value and quality and budgets that we see viewers and streamers on 2B engaging with. Okay. And another thing sort of as we look
2: at, you know, what has kind of kept broadcast most vibrant in the past couple of years, live events have been crucial, sports in particular. How do you guys both look at the philosophy of live events?
3: So at Tubi, we're starting to experiment a little bit with live events, especially on the sports side. Um, in collaboration with Fox Sports, we have the CONCACAF, uh, under-17 women's tournament on, on the service right now. Uh, we had several matches last week. We've experimented with the World Baseball Classic uh, about a month or two ago. Uh, and we were the home of all World Cup 2022 men's matches on VOD uh, right after the whistle. Accompanying uh, that was a FIFA World Cup fast channel, as well as extended and short highlights. So it is definitely something we're looking at. I believe, the company believes there's still a very um, valid and big space for linear due to live events and sports. And so where we can help to add uh, a platform for engagement and uh, increased viewership, we will will do so and lean in. So live has been very successful with news for a number of years.
4: Um, We have great relationships both with our own CBS uh, news networks as well as partners like uh, NBC and CNN. Um, we've you know continued to expand with local uh, news networks with these platforms. Um, you know really strong regional news and and live has been uh, great for news in that it allows you to have um, these connections with the user um, and these beats to bring them in. Um, we have relationships where users will, users will get push notifications for when you know when there's breaking news. Um, People want to tune in when something's happening or when there's obviously around the election, um, when there's uh, big announcements, things like that. So news has always been a very strong category in live. And we've seen our news partners continue to invest heavily in news production um, to make more and more of a premium product. Um, Sports, similarly, as Sam mentioned, um, we've started to, to to dabble and experiment with live um, we've been working both with our internal partners across, uh, CBS sports and Showtime, uh, in, in the fight space. So we'll do, uh, you know, we'll broadcast prelim, uh, prelim fights and weigh-ins and things like that, and then drive to live fights, um, on pay services. Um, and then we have a partnership with PBR professional bull riders, um, and we're doing a lot of live with them. We probably do at least five to 10 hours a week, uh, of live events with them. Um, on on our channel where we're the exclusive home of PBR Ride Pass.
2: So one of the stories that TV fans have been following mostly in the last six months has been this kind of interesting corporatized ethos wherein shows in some cases become more valuable to companies as tax write-offs or as things that aren't on platforms versus things that actually are on their platforms. We had Disney... Pull a bunch of stuff from Hulu and Disney Plus last week. HBO slash HBO Max did a bunch of stuff, and when HBO slash HBO Max pulled a bunch of stuff from their networks, Sam, you and Tubi jumped all over the West Worlds and the Nevers of the world, and that was that was a big splash. That, that was a different kind of thing. That did the, did the acquisition of those HBO titles, a feel like a shift in philosophy, and did it pay tangible dividends that you can sort of give us the sense of, okay, here's what those shows did in driving to us?
3: Yes. Uh, I think I'll start with the second question and work my way backwards. Um, Overall, really positive signals so far from the engagement we've seen on the Warner Brothers Discovery, Fast Channels, and uh, VOD assets that we've gotten. Um, Series, movies recognizable shows like Westworld, really sticky, non-scripted franchises like The Bachelor, uh, like F-Boy Island, Say Yes to the Dress. And then I think what you're alluding to is really interesting new evolution of the business. We premiered the back six episodes of The Nevers that were never aired anywhere else. And I, I think that's a testament to our partnership with Warner Brothers Discovery. And I got to give them a big shout out for being innovative and thinking outside the box. Uh, I can't comment on the strategy behind, you know, pulling it down necessarily from their service. But I think for us at Tubi and for generally the television viewing public, it was a win. It took shows that were only available behind a paywall previously and brought it to um, anyone and everyone who wanted to tune in and watch on an, an ad-supported streaming service. And I think, yes, it has created uh, the first move made made by Warner Brothers Discovery has 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 created a trend and people are following and looking at it, I think at the end of the day, it will benefit consumers. And so we will continue to think innovatively, look at our partnerships with major studios and independent providers to avail content to the the, the broadest set of consumers possible. Um, but at the end of the day, we're a couple months into our partnership, and we're seeing a lot of good momentum. We're seeing people engage with those channels uh, across a number of categories, lifestyle, home, um, TV watch list, which is one of the Warner Brothers channels, which houses most of that premium drama that we have on the service from Warner Brothers uh, Discovery. Um, pets. It, it's a really broad swath of programming that helps to just add to the, the depth and breadth of, of what we, we can offer to those who come to, to be to stream.
2: And is that something that interests you and Pluto when when things like that kind of get on the market?
3: Yeah, I think
4: it's a testament to the growing um reach and success in in our space and as Sam was mentioning, you're having um you know top studios and distributors really, you know, come to the table with us and say how do we how do we do something together that that works that fits what you're looking for that you know that works for your platform and I think that that has been one of the the greatest shifts from more of the traditional um licensing business years ago to the fast space where it's this more collective collaborative effort of how do we build these channels how do we grow this success together how do we co-market this how do we work on this on an ongoing basis to make sure you have enough refresh of new series and and new episodes and 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 program this that in a way that makes sense And um, it's been very helpful that these partners um, are now, again, becoming very big collaborators with us. In a situation
2: like the deal for those HBO shows, was was that a situation where you had heard or people at Warner Brothers had told you we're pulling these off of the service? Would you like to get in on that business? Or was it a, it happened and you said, ooh, we've got a home that could be there for those shows?
3: Um. I would say that we have a really robust partnership with Warner Bros. Discovery, um, as do others. You know, I'm sure Will uh, has, has a relationship with those folks over there. Uh, and they brought us a unique opportunity. And together we worked to craft a bespoke offering for Tubi. And that's really unique. Um, when, when you have one of the oldest and most storied movie and TV studios in the business come to you with, with a, a unique opportunity, you, you jump on it. So, so part of our
4: approach has always been with our channels and our content is, you know, leaning in on audience cohorts that we know are working really well in genres, um, identifying new ones to to build and grow out based on what we've seen. Um, but then also there's this kind of third bucket of those, oppor- those opportunistic ones where, um, as Sam was mentioning, the relationships we have with our partners um, always seeing what what might become a, what might become available, what could you do, leaning in to find something that's a bit different. And sometimes something will come around that just, you know, you light up and you say, let's figure out, let's make this work that maybe didn't fit in your traditional box.
3: Um, and that's, you know, has been the birth of a lot of our partnerships. I, I'll double click on that and say, I think in general, while everyone was so focused, in on SVODs, the, the AVOD services were out here being a little sneaky and and, and, and uh, testing the bounds of business models that were practiced by traditional studios. We were able to come up with new ways about thinking about deal structures and being innovative and creative and flexible. Uh, I think that has a lot to do with the fact that we are a verified business model that... Uh, we have to ensure that you're engaged with our content. I can't just put up a movie or series and hope that you forget that you have a subscription and I continue to charge your credit card. I need to have content that engages you day after day, week after week, month after month. And if I can do that, then I can be really um, dynamic and flexible and innovative with the deals that I can strike with content providers and the type of content I can bring to my platform. Um, I think this is another reason, back to what we started with, that allows us to go deep in categories like Korean drama or anime or Bollywood that you see aren't being served by some of the major SVOD services out there. And it's exciting. I think it it creates a democratization of content that, you know, we've never seen before in the U.S. or or the globe thereover.
2: But take, for example, the Disney shows that just got pulled, which I believe was last week or the week before. When you see the list going around, okay, here are the 20 shows that just got, you know, that just got removed. For you guys, does that become, ooh, it's a shopping list, I want that, that, and that? Or does there have to be a pre-existing relationship to make that work?
3: Can do. Like, it, it really depends on a case-by-case basis. It also, at least at Tubi, we look at where we're seeing customer signals that, that drive the acquisition of some of those shows. Um, we, we have a great relationship with Disney. We do a lot with them on the movie and TV side. So, you know, perhaps I made a phone call yesterday. Perhaps I'll hear back today. You never know.
2: <laughs>
3: Did you perhaps make a phone call <laughs> at you the other day, or maybe not? <laughs> um,
4: we also have to look at the content, and in you know, in some cases, there is content that plays very well in a certain type of format. And I'll, you know, I'll give a, the, the example of uh, a, a highly serialized drama, right? Um often, you know, when you take a show. Um, that is, you know, serialized drama. One that you have to watch the first one, to watch the second one, to watch the third one, and and you're and you're binging it in that method. Um, a show like that might not necessarily work in a linear format, and might be better for a call it a more traditional at this point VOD format. So just because a show has an inc- might have an incredible brand or an audience following, um, a linear channel might not be the place for it because if you jump in and you're at, you know, it's the second episode of a show and you're five minutes in, you're already lost because you don't know what happened and, you know, you can't go and catch up. So I think that there's multiple layers in terms of, you know, how we have to look at uh, all this content.
3: And I guess the comment that I would share as a recovering salesperson, um, the idea of windowing, and I'll explain what windowing is. You know, if you have a piece of content, if you have a show, Uh, I'll use the Simpsons, for example, that is on broadcast television and then moves to cable syndication and then moves to an SVOD service and then moves to an AVOD service. You know, in the jobs that we do, we have to think about the exposure of that content, how much of a addressable audience still exists for it? How strong is the IP? How much does it resonate with a consumer base that will go and watch it for the fourth, fifth, sixth time? Or is there an audience that we can tap into that has never seen it before, a la the Warner Brothers Discovery deal? Because a large segment of the U.S. doesn't have HBO Max or HBO. A lot of people do, don't get me wrong. But I think the important part to to think about and contextualize is um, how much value are you you presenting to consumers who are coming to your platform? And so that goes into the calculus about how how any of us do our jobs on the content acquisition side at a streaming service.
2: I have lots more nerdy questions, but get your nerdy questions ready as well. (laughs) Um, Following up on that directly what is the value or relevance of exclusivity to either of your brands? The sort of the difference between being we are a home for this classic sitcom versus we are the home for the last six episodes of The Nevers or whatever.
4: So I think we see exclusivity in a few different flavors. Um, there's exclusivity within our own kind of call it rights segment. So free ad supported or, or AVOD versus, you know, are you the only platform that has this, that's free to access on a streaming basis versus in subscription space. There is exclusivity in terms of windowing. Do we Are we the only ones who have it this month or for, for these three months? Um, and then uh, from our perspective too, um, are we the only ones who are programming this content in this manner or in, in this way? And that's how we look at a lot of the channels that we're creating. So we're the only ones who have a channel called sitcom legends that is, you know, airing these shows in this combination. The shows might be accessible and available, but this is, you know, this is our channel and this is what we're leaning into. And I think that as you're thinking around exclusivity, um, a lot of what you have to think of is what, you know, what is the value? Obviously when you're acquiring things exclusively, there's a premium in terms of the cost to it um, in limiting its exposure elsewhere. And a lot of what you have to think is, you know, what, what's the job that this exclusivity is doing for me? And oftentimes it's, this is providing additional marketing support. This is providing something that is going to really bring someone into the platform. Um, And so um, we have to really kind of make all those considerations from a value perspective and say, is this something that's worth us leaning into from that perspective? And, you know, what we found is there are, you know, a, a, Certain types of genres and content. Um, it's often very well-known IP, star-driven, um, or really genres that align so well with um, what our audience want. And those are the things that we'll invest more heavily into from an exclusive basis because those are the things that we're putting you know, our flag down and saying, this is representative of what our brand is, what our audience is,
3: and where we want to bring and hook people in on. One of the few things Will and I will agree on is there. There are many flavors uh, of exclusivity, and for us, I'll start with originals, and that's an important category where us to maintain exclusivity. Um, given that we are creating an asset, we're creating a movie or a series that we want customers, we want viewers to come to the service to engage with. But it also depends on the show or the se- uh, the show or the movie, um, its recency, you know. Uh, not to keep leaning on the Warner Brothers discovery deal but that is a that is a, an opportunity where we we do share some of the content with another streaming service and we have found that as a, as a whole we have a low duplication rate with other ad supported streaming services and in particular subscription video on demand services and so we calculate the value to us to pay for an exclusive rights grant with how we see or anticipate or project all of you or television viewer, viewers will engage with that content. So I don't think, um, I wouldn't say it's, it's, it's paramount for all that we do, but I think a differentiated offering is important in 2023 in the ad-supported streaming space. And we do that both through content, but also a, a, an optimal uh, viewing experience, well, You know, a, a great ads, ad product, a great recommendation engine, um, and an environment that's really easy to navigate.
2: Let's get some questions. I want to make sure everyone leaves this room feeling like an expert in this. OK, back there.
3: Hi, thank you so much for doing
2: this. This is really fascinating. I'm curious as you're looking into the uh, original content space and how that kind of can help bolster your brand and, and set it apart. Can you talk more about specific kind of formats and genres that you're most excited about? And I'm also really curious, what is the best pitch you've ever heard? And
3: what on the original side, we are leaning into all those categories that I mentioned. We over-index on the on the library uh, offering. Black cinema, reality, true crime, uh, action, thriller. We have one of the largest Spanish-speaking offering. Um, so we are leaning into that category. Um, we are leveraging, in a lot of ways, studios in the... Uh, larger, our parent company's environment. So TMZ, Gordon Ramsay, we launched a show, our first non-scripted cooking show earlier this year called Kitchen Commando, Um, executive produced by Gordon Ramsay and starring a fabulous new talent, a guy named Andre Rush, who's a former White House chef uh, and former uh, army veteran. Guy's got biceps the size of my head. And he is tough love. All the way and goes into restaurants that have been impacted by the pandemic and kind of rebuilds from the ground up the folks that run these restaurants and their businesses. Uh, and so it's a really great show. And, and I think you're going to see us lean, continue to lean into non-scripted. We announced recently a partnership with Vice for uh, six documentaries that we're doing with them across a number of topics and categories. Um, so I think that's a, a little bit of a taste of what, what we're looking for and what we're doing. Um, we also frequent all of the major film festivals and markets looking for opportunities to acquire finished movies that, that we can bring to uh, viewers on Tubi uh, with, with or without the Tubi brand. Um, and what is the best pitch I ever got? <sighs> That's a tough one. Um, I guess in, in the same thing, probably the Warner Brothers Discovery pitch from earlier this year, because I think it brought it brought great content to customers uh, and viewers. And I, you know I couldn't be more pleased with that partnership. I think I saw something over the, let's go back and then... Uh,
2: question for both of you. Uh, as far as the who your consumers are, are they people who already have SDOD? Or do you have unique people that are coming to
4: yours? Or are they have like 10 different subscriptions and you are one of them? How does that fit? Mike is caught, I think. Hold on one second. Um we like to think we have or we, we are able to capture the broadest audience possible. We have um, everything from kids' content to news to, uh, to crime dramas. Um, our goal is to super serve both the audience that um, is, call it, cord nevers, um, people who have never had cable, uh, people who are cord cutters who have migrated from cable um, and then also that audience that's kind of dangling in between. Um, and so I think from our programming perspective, what has been working very well is um, this, this this kind of nostalgia TV, um, this very, you know, familiarity, whether it's classic sitcoms or classic television, um, because that really caters to that audience that wants and needs the traditional television experience. But we also know that our audience does have subscriptions, whether it's our own streaming services like Paramount+, Plus, Netflix, Hulu, Amazon, the others. And our goal as a platform is to be as, call it, complementary and catch-all to those platforms So we, you know, we lean on, lean in on what, um, you know, what are we offering um, that's different from those platforms? And that can come from a content perspective, but that can also come from a product and experience perspective. That can be the way we uh, curate channels, the way we divide genres, um, the way we move users throughout the platform and um, you know, allow them to access content in different ways. So um, I think a long-winded way of saying we feel that our platform is very complementary to the offerings that people have. And I think we operate under that assumption in terms of how we're building
3: out our offering from both a content and a product perspective. As I mentioned before, we have a very low duplication rate with other streaming services. But I think more importantly, to talk about who it is that comes to Tubi, we have 64 million monthly active users. Uh, A third of those are in the coveted 18 to 34 demographic. Our median age is 39 years old, much younger than any other streaming service, uh, and definitely broadcast or linear TV. I think the other really important thing about Tubi viewers is that we are incredibly diverse. 50% Uh, 50% of Tubi viewers identify as multicultural. So super serving those communities with movies and series that represent their lived experience or stories that they want to see, which, which include representation on and behind the camera or in front of and behind the camera is really important for us. So um, I don't know if that answers your question, but talk a little bit about who's coming to Tubi and and where they're watching content. Yeah, that kind of, to my question, I noticed just, this- my line specifically noticed how there was a quite a big range of like black cinema on that channel, and just sort of the amount of like indie to Hollywood. So, was that, a concentrated effort sort of open the gates for new filmmakers or Dallas filmmakers to get like a point in the door. So, I think when we started off uh, nine years ago as a um, an ad integration service as a, a as a company called AdRise, and then pivoted to Tubi as a streaming service. We, we saw that there was a, a lack of representation. There was a lack of content in the black cinema space. And so through acquiring and bringing on that content, wanted to serve a community that was uh, clearly hungry for that content. Over the years, I think the success we've seen in that category has been incredible and un- unpredicted. And so we have invested in everything from big franchise films to independent filmmakers across the country. Uh, my team will be at the American Black Film Festival later this month in Florida uh, with a film that came out of that Village Roadshow deal that's also a a Black cinema title. So we, we, we want to be a home for all, all content creators. And I think that, the number of content providers that we partner with—that four hundred and fifty-five number that I shared—is indicative of how we think about democratizing content and making sure that um, filmmakers have the opportunity to get their movies seen. So your ad services. So I remember
0: when video on demand first came out within cable, you would get two commercials six times to a point where you wanted to bang your head. So how do you guys think about ads? are you able to pair them nicely with the content? Can you um, influence how the ads are created to, to serve you know, as a thing where people find that that flows again in the way they watch
3: versus not? I think for Tubi, at least, the, the thing I just touched on, the fact that we were, we were born as an ad server uh, with, film, uh, with um, the technology that's the underpinning of our service. And using that machine learning algorithmic serving to not just put content in front of you, but also make sure that we're putting the right ads in front of you, Uh, optimizing ad loads, ensuring that there's not duplicate creative, which is a fancy ad way of saying you don't get the same commercial two times in the same program or two times in a row. These are all really important things for us. And we continue to innovate on the, the ad tech side as well. Uh, and so for us, as Will said, as, as I've, I think said earlier, it's not just the content, but also the ad experience that we believe differentiates ourselves from other ad supported services. So it's continuing, we're continuing to iterate on that and make sure that not only is the right content put in front of you, but the right ad is put in front of you because our ad partners, they benefit from that just as much as you benefit from having a great experience.
4: Yeah. Similarly, We look very closely at the user experience and even the experience in someone who is watching on a linear channel versus someone who has leaned in and said, I want to watch this title on video on demand um, and what that ad experience is. Um, And I'd say one of the greatest benefits that we have um, at Pluto TV is being part of the broader Paramount Global um, ad sales team that is out there with hundreds of partnerships and relationships across agencies and brands and is um, bringing in advertising across all of the digital properties, whether it's Pluto TV, Paramount+, Plus, CBS, Sports, and Digital. Um, And having that scale um, and access to advertisers allows them to really go to advertisers and brands um, to create customizable packages around audiences and genres um, that hopefully um, can resonate best with our audience.
2: As you guys look at an ideal sort of version of what an ad load would look like, what is sort of the balance between ads for things within our corporate entities that are driving people from one hub to the other versus non-endemic, you know, ooh, here's a big beer ad, here's a big car ad?
4: I think there's a you, it, there has to be the right balance, and I think a lot of it is content-dependent because um and this is something we you know we're looking at and tinkering with where you want the right balance of of obviously having a sustainable business model that is ad supported but also ensuring that um, users have enough time to get engaged with content and we found that um, there has been uh, you know great reception to, the way, uh, you know, the experience we see very high view through on our, on our advertising. And um, I think we'll continue to look for ways to adjust and tailor that to the user and their experience on the platform, whether this is the first thing that they've watched in the first half hour or whether they've been there for four hours binging and, you know, in, in a perfect world, being able to dynamically Um, you know, cater the ad experience to that viewer based on what they're watching,
3: how long they've been watching? Yeah, I'll I'll pull that thread and say, I'm in in need of creating repeat customers, repeat viewers, right? So if you have an awful ad experience, the first time you come to Tubi, you're never coming back. So we need to be able to be dynamic and be flexible, but also support our business goals and generating revenue. So again, I'll go back to this idea of, Content intelligence, ad intelligence, coupled with great content, and ensuring that I put the right content in front of you, which is different than the right content I put in front of you, which is different than the right po- content I put in front of you, and then each of you having a optimized and bespoke ad experience as well. Speaking personally, I don't need to see that ad
2: with Edna from The Incredibles telling me to put a mask on, darling. Again, <laughs> I, I feel I feel like I've seen that one enough.
3: <laughs> no taken. <in. laughs> uh. Since Fast is so similar to what
4: television has always been, and since, you know, so many people
3: are on the internet, who do you really see that, that Fast and a are going to be killing the traditional broadcast that still exist over the air? No. Uh, I, b- I believe in the value that linear television brings. Again, I'll point back to live events, sports, news, I think there's still a value to um, traditional business models and TV as we've all known it for the last 50 years. I think it's a complimentary offering and that that over the air, linear television can be coupled with ad supported streaming and Asphalt. I think they all offer a unique value proposition to consumers.
4: And I think what you'll see
3: is a continued evolution
4: of the type of programming that you're going to see in the cable and linear model. And you're already seeing that today. Um, you know, uh, shifts, continued shifts towards, as Sam mentioned, live events, unscripted, other types of very broad entertainment formats. So I think what you'll continue to see is. Um, you know, a shift maybe in terms of where people watch certain types of content, but the models themselves will continue to coexist.
3: I'd also point to, you know, a lot of people were (sighs) crying out that theatrical is dead over the last three years. And I think you've seen a return to movie theaters, which as a movie goer is really exciting to me. I still love taking my two girls to go see the newest you know, Little Mermaid in theaters. And I think just like theatrical, linear television will remain a a staple in our culture and society. I feel like I saw at least one question over here, or did I? Um, So I am currently producing a one-minute show. So I'm producing, I'm writing, and I'm hosting a show. I live on Maui. And it's a tiny little show that I um, just recently launched. And it's growing in waves that i up. Um, I'm up for best
4: um, show on the uh which is my thing. But um, my question is, uh, so basically it's a zero-budget situation right now, and I'm utilizing all of my creative tools as best I can. And people are like, you need to get sponsors, you need to get underwriters, and I was not expecting any of that. And so, like, how do I move forward with something like
3: that? Well, my best advice, Allison, is always to seek representation because there is going to be an, um, an inherent value to you navigating sponsorships, perhaps licensing your show, talking to streaming services like Pluto or Tubi, and the best Stuart. For you to do that is is uh, is representation. It's also, there's a high threshold to entry to a lot of traditional media companies who won't take what is called unsolicited submissions. So having someone to be your advocate, to be your spokesperson um, can open doors and engage you, engage in conversations that you might not be able to otherwise uh, engage with. I don't, that's just my advice. I,
4: I agree with that. And I think if you even take that a step further along and you're an independent filmmaker and you're looking for, uh, you know, distribution of your title, um, in many cases where we've had the most success are working with um, companies that are broader distributors, broader aggregators that we have direct relationships with, deals with that are out there in the market, acquiring titles, evaluating it, supporting, you know, individual filmmakers to, you know, on, on that level. And that has, through those partnerships and relationships allowed us to um, distribute and show, um, you know, a a breadth of incredible films that we might not have have had access to on a more, call it, one-off basis.
2: I want to close with the sort of big picture, five years down the road question. If we figure that the SVOD services, the big SVOD services have moved more in the direction of what you guys do in the past two or three years, and we assume that that is going to be the future. Five years from now, what is the thing or what are the things that are going to make Tubi and Pluto still look different and distinctive from whatever it is that Netflix or Macs look like in five years?
4: I think the first piece is global reach. Um, I think that because we're free... And because we're so accessible, being able to grow our audiences, um, work with local creators, work with local programmers, um, and have our footprint out there um, is something that will be very significant. And you'll you'll see um, we're already in 35 plus territories. You'll see that continue to grow and be a big part of our business. Um, And I think the second piece is around um, discoverability and and uh, personalization um, as you know as more services are um, becoming out in the market and uh, overlapping content and uh, a challenge uh, to for consumers' eyeballs. It will be on us to make sure that we're creating an experience that will want you to come to our platform uh, versus elsewhere. And what does that mean? That means um, a more curated experience for you from both the content perspective as well as the flow in the platform, the user experience. So I think, again, personalization and and global reach. I
3: I think for us, we think about the future as a greater offering and more optionality for viewers. So more content, more different types of content, uh, the access to more premium content on our service, I think that there also will be uh, accessibility and ubiquity of our service everywhere and anywhere you want to engage with it. We're already on 29 plus different devices, you know, connected TVs, mobile devices, gaming consoles. That's only going to grow. So where you can access Tubi and and where where you'll be able to engage with our service and our content will will, will grow. Um, we are also available internationally, and 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 you know I can't can't share any news on international expansion right now, but I'd say that we're eyeing um, opportunities to bring Tubi to customers in other parts of the world very seriously and uh, allow us to then import international content from other territories as well. Um, But I think it's a really healthy and bright future that that we see at Tubi for the whole ad-supported video streaming space.
2: Thank you guys all so much for coming out today and thank you to Will and to Sam.
3: Thanks, Dan. Thank you, everyone.
0: You have been listening to the TV Campfire podcast hosted by ATX TV co-founders Emily Gibson and Caitlin McFarland and produced by Jennifer Morgan. This conversation was recorded live at ATX TV Festival season 12 in Austin, Texas between June 1st and 4th, 2023. For more information on the festival and becoming an ATX TV member, follow us at ATX Festival or visit atxfestival.com.